1: Hello, I'm Ed Byrne, and as my kids get older and the march of time pushes me ever closer to the inevitability of retirement, I've decided I'm in the market for a new hobby. But I seek guidance, so every week I'll be meeting up with one of my celebrity chums, trying out their favourite pastime and then interrogating them about it to see if it's for me. And just to make sure I fully divorce myself from the decision-making process, I will also be starting and finishing every episode with a chat with my wife Claire in order to fully examine whether or not said hobby is a good fit. This is Ed Byrne Needs a Hobby.
0: What are you doing this time? I didn't mean to sound so fed up. (laughs) Sorry. What are you going to do,
1: yet? I'm heading down to West Sussex to meet Angela Barnes, who is going to show me around uh, a nuclear bunker, because Angela Barnes is really into nuclear bunkers. (laughs) It's a very specific hobby, yeah. For the record, listeners, she's staring at me.
0: (laughs) I don't know what to say to that. What What do you mean?
1: It's it's a thing. There's a there's quite a few of them dotted around the country. You know, these are these are places that were some of them were originally air raid shelters, and then they were nuclear bunkers, and they were places where seats, you know, where where you know local government officials, etc., would go in 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 order to make sure that. Local government still ran in the event of a nuclear disaster or uh, attack. And they're, they're, they're all over the shop. In the same way as we might visit pillboxes. We've got a lot of pillboxes dotted around here from World War II.
0: Yeah.
1: That obviously were never used. They were just built in case the Germans some invaded. Might, some might have been used. They were never used. The Germans <laughs> never got to Britain. Nuclear bunkers are far more advanced.
0: What? So are they quite big?
1: Apparently so. Some of them are good, like yeah, yeah, like you know, bedrooms. Yes. My, so such is my understanding. And then and then now and then a lot of them since they've been closed have become museums. Some of them are maintained just by volunteers. What? So yeah, it's a thing. Are they underground? I would have thought so. Yes. Unless it's not like only frozen horses, <laughs> where they built a nuclear shelter on top of the block of flats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. I'm so. I like. I'm just
1: a bit... Yes, because even I said, I said, oh, we're going to visit a World War II bunker. She said, no, that's not what I mean. I'm not into, I'm not into bomb shelters or, or World War II shelters. No, it's... It's a it's very a, specific nuclear thing. nuclear A yeah. nuclear bunker. Yeah. How old is
0: this one that I you're don't, going to
1: I'm, I'm, you're, you're asking me these questions before I've done the interview. <laughs> I, I've deliberately not done a great deal of research because I want Angela to be my window into this world, which I am hoping she's going to be, because here's the thing, like the one that we're visiting is closed. Do you know why we're getting into it? because I'm with Angela Barnes oh, and, and she knows everybody who's got anything to do with nuclear, nuclear bunkers. This, yes.
0: This is a proper hobby like she goes mm-hmm.
1: she knows people in the nuclear bunker world.
0: God, how fascinating.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's going to be very interesting. And I love Angela. Every time I meet Angela, she tells me something else about her. She reveals another fact about her that is fascinating and interesting. There's always something. But she's also I Proof that the weirdest, oddest people make the best comedians because she's an absolute joke machine. But uh, she's, yeah, she's odd.
3: Hello, I'm Angela Barnes and I'm really into nuclear bunkers.
1: Angela Barnes, where are we?
3: Well, we're by a graveyard um, just outside the lovely village of Cookfield.
1: Which is quite exactly. near Haywards Heath. Quite near Haywards Heath. I know this because I picked my producer up from the train station there, and it's a ah. mere eight minutes. from here. It's a beautiful sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. So I'm not saying there's no reason to be here, but why are we here?
3: Well, unfortunately, the fact it's a sunny day isn't really going to help us where we're going, because um, I'm taking you to a nuclear bunker.
1: Hmm. Um, I would expect nothing less. No, exactly. The episode's called Nuclear Bunkers with Angela Bu- <laughs> Angela Barnes. If I said oh, <laughs> we're going to a carnival.
3: Um, <laughs> Yeah, so this is a little, it's a Royal Observer Corps monitoring post in the middle of the countryside. There's about 1,500 of these across the British countryside.
1: There's about 1,500 nuclear bunkers.
3: Yeah, well, these are very specific ones. They're Royal Observer Corps monitoring posts. So these mm-hmm. are the places where, if we entered what they call the transition to war phase, this is during the Cold War. Yeah. They're now decommissioned. Um, what would have happened is. These volunteers, called the Royal Observer Corps, would have... They're volunteers? They were volunteers. They were volunteer for... So they were the
1: Cold War Dad's Army?
3: They were absolutely the Cold War Dad's Army. They were They were plane spotters in World War I Okay. and World War Two, And then with the advent of radar, they weren't really needed for that anymore. So we went, we've got a new job for you guys. <laughs> you get to monitor fallout during a nuclear attack. And they went, oh, OK, we'll do that then. And they were they were stood down in the early 90s. So there's still a lot of them around. They still have sort of regular meetups and stuff. And their job was, in the event of attack, to man these monitoring posts okay. where they would monitor the fallout from a nuclear blast, mm-hmm. report it back to HQ, report it back to all the big bunkers where you had regional seats of government bunkers, all yeah. the massive ones. What we're going to do today is a little three man post. So if you were on duty when the alarm went off, mm-hmm. you would have to leave your family, go see you later. Good luck.
1: Assume that they're going to be at least the family and When the Wind Blows.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're in the Sussex Countryside, which yeah. is where that's set. Yeah. And, of course, it's the fallout that's a problem Yeah. Um, for survivors. So their job was to monitor where the fallouts go, which way the wind blows, where the, the fallout is, how long it will be before the danger passes. So these three guys...
1: And they, sorry, and they do all this knowing that their families are probably being irradiated. That was the idea. being I mean, irradiated. never tested. Right. It
3: never happened. And most of the observers I've spoken to now... Say that had it actually happened,
1: they'd have smuggled their family in.
3: No, there was not room. They would have just not. They would have just stayed with their family. They probably wouldn't have gone to post. Oh, I see. Um, it was. That's a big
1: admission to say. I would probably wouldn't have done now. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can say that now because they don't
3: exist anymore. <laughs> They've been stood down. But. That, that's not everyone would have said that, but a lot of the observers I've spoken
1: to. So that's the history of this particular post we're going to, but your hobby extends to, to nuclear bunkers in general, correct? Yeah, yeah. Including the ones where, as you say, local government yeah. and, and and even higher up than that would end up, would be ushered to in the event of a nuclear attack or disaster.
3: Yeah, so during the Cold War period, there were, I mean, the, the, things changed during, with civil defence during that period of sort of 50 years, but um, generally speaking, the idea was that in event of attack, Central government would be dissolved and uh, there'd be 12 regional governments, each with an unelected commissioner in charge. And each of these regions has a massive bunker, mm-hmm. which is where those people... So there were no, in this country, there were no civilian nuclear bunkers, none at all. No. We just had protection, surviving survive and good luck. Yeah. Um, so the idea was for um, uh, government personnel, civil service, so you could restart society eventually.
1: With government personnel and secrets, yeah. I'd rather run to ground zero personally than that
3: (laughs) society. But yeah, you'd obviously, and there would be people in the local community who would have been chosen, so electrical engineers, nurses, doctors, whatever, but they would all have signed the Official Secrets Act. Mm -hmm. They would have been in the bunkers because you need to have personnel to service it and things like that. So
1: So all the people that we see see are in in the movie Threads, the people who ended up underground in Sheffield in the movie Threads, those people. Yeah, exactly. There's a man lurking there. Hello. Is this Other Ed? Yes.
3: This is Other Ed. Hi, Ed. Nice to meet you. How
1: are you doing? Hello. Ed. Ed. Yes. Nice, to meet, nice to meet you. We're going to call you Bunker Ed, just to differentiate if that's all right. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> Was that your nickname at college anyway? <laughs> uh, yeah, and a bit like that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Thank you so much across. for opening I mean, up for us today. Oh, yeah, you're
1: welcome. You're very welcome. Now, Ed, Angela tells me that she, she's not met you before, but she knows of you because she's attended webinars that you've done. <laughs> I
2: have. Uh, yes, I think that's correct. I th- we we have a mutual friend as well, Gavin, yeah, up Gavin in Dundee, who I've done a lot of heritage and conservation type work with in the past. He's got a fantastic place out there, a big museum. I, I think you've been... Re- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, you did. You had your hand do in a nuclear bunker,
1: Angela. Yes, that's, so, that's, that is... That is that is. We, my wife and I did, uh, 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 discuss a lot at what point does it become a pastime, does it become a hobby, does it become a way of life? I think having your hand doing one is going to cross over into way of life.
2: <laughs> this is Cookfield. I've put out a couple of bits of equipment for you. Um, just to see. Some of them are not fixed down, so don't, don't lean on them. They might fall off.
1: Okay, so this um, is what it would have looked like at the time, is, this then? This is
2: what it would have looked like at the time. There would have been a radio mast as well, but it's too heavy to get out of the shaft on my own, so I haven't put it up. Um, and obviously the hatch would have been shut when they are in it.
1: This is not normally open to the public, or it's only open to the public at certain times? We open
2: uh, four or six days a year over the summer for the public, and have about 350, 400 people come and visit every
1: when year. When you say we, what oh. body do you work for then?
2: No, so my friend and I, Mark, we restored this 10 years ago as a hobby with an organisation called Subterranea Britannica and then as it's morphed over the years, we now volunteer for Cookfield Parish Council because they're the landowners; mm-hmm. they own the building and we own all the artefacts in it.
1: So That's Angela, what, what body allows people access to these things as a whole? Is there is there a... An, no, oh,
3: so there's, as you mentioned, Subterranea Britannica is an organisation yeah. that sort of map all this underground stuff in the UK, and their website will list where every one of these is. Some are just derelict, some are flooded, some are you can't access at all, most of them are locked up, but some people have bought them. So they're usually on private land, yeah. right, mm-hmm. and then they, when they were decommissioned, in the most of them in the 90s, early 90s? Yeah,
2: early 90s, the course stood down, 1991, and then... Probably from about 95 onwards, they started to get sold off or revert back to the original landowner. A lot were bought by telecoms companies because they were on the tops of hills in sort of rural areas. Good phone signal, I guess, or good place to put a mask to get good phone signal.
1: The MOD have nothing to do with them anymore? Not anymore. When there's no central governing body or or, or uh, you know organisation.
3: stood down in the early 90s and then they were all just, like you say, went back to the original landowners or were sold off.
1: Does that make making them a hobby more difficult or is that part of the fun? Getting access to them.
3: Yeah. There are people who will break into them and go and have a look. I've not. I've not done that. But it's quite fun. I was. My husband's not interested remotely in this. He likes hiking though. We went for a hike in the Cairngorms. And I just spotted one. He's like, oh, for Christ's sake, can't even just go from country they're quite you know, These green hatches—they're quite easy, quite to distinctive. Spot. And I think a lot of people see them in the countryside, don't know what's underneath them.
2: Yeah, a lot. A lot of people have come to the Open Day and said, "Oh, I've walked past this for 20 years, walking my dog. I thought it was just a water reservoir or a mm-hmm. you know farmer's silage store or something like that. They didn't realise what they were. So they're hidden, but they're not secret. If that makes sense, people yeah. just walk by them." Yeah, I do. <laughs> Can I say, I'm already, I'm intrigued. It's an actual
1: contender for a new thing I could become interested in. And awesome. so far, it's looking very good. Oh, Can I'm, I so
3: just pleased, say? Ned, I'm so pleased, because I love it. <laughs> so this is a ground zero indicator. Mm-hmm. In here would be photographic paper. Yep. <clears throat> right, so when the burst goes off, it's a burst, not a blast. Right, yeah. The light from it would scorch the paper. Yeah. And so they'd be able to triangulate exactly where the burst had happened. Am I right so far?
2: You are, yes. <laughs> yeah. Four pinhole cameras and low-light paper that will pick up the bright flash. And these little posts worked in small groups of three, two to four really, but normally three. And you get three of these readings and then you can triangulate where the bomb landed. So you know exactly where the Brighton's been blasted off the map or... Not. you feed key, that all back yeah, to an key key HQ bunker, there.
1: and then this here, I'm guessing, is some sort of telecoms device. No,
2: no. this is a fixed survey meter. Fixed so survey. in here okay. is a radiation detecting head that would have detected the radiation produced from the fallout from a nuclear strike.
1: Okay, so this is what they're here to do: is monitor the fallout, yeah. and this is the actual instrument that does that.
2: Yes, exactly that, because you might not have a nuclear strike in your location but there could have been one four or five hundred miles away or in France or Germany or somewhere and days later the fallout could have been blown over by the prevailing wind and rain then you would detect it.
1: Were any of these things still going say when Chernobyl went yep. went off and did they register yes. nuclear and, and were they used as it were?
2: They weren't used in an official let's all man the post and see if we can detect stuff but some Posts did report increased levels in their background radiation mm. as a result of the Chernobyl accident. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's worth knowing. I, I, I
2: was worth hanging out with a few of them for that. Well, who knows what they've got now? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll what, find out
1: in 50 years. And this just looks like a large drawing pin that's hammered into the ground, so what's
2: that? The baffle plates for the bomb power indicator, so it's what
1: they do. That's, what, that's exactly what I thought that was. That's the, <laughs> can you can see that, that's a baffle plate for a bomb exactly indicator.
2: It's yep. like see from your face, you knew what that was. And that picks up the overpressure wave of a nuclear explosion and gives a readout on a display downstairs, or underground, that you can then use to calculate the power of the bomb, because you've got a known location and you're a known distance from it you can calculate how strong the explosion was, which you can then work out damage radius, number of casualties, all those sorts of grim nuclear war-type statistics.
1: The, the macabre edge to the whole thing, is, is, I think, just adds to it. And then what looks like a very large square fire hydrant with a solar panel on the top of it.
2: The, the solar panel isn't modern. This is what's powering the light so that we can see where we're going when we step off the ladder. <laughs> right. at the bottom. So that's extra? That's extra. But this is it's an air vent shaft, really. It would right. have had a radio mast on the side of it because I had radio for communications as well as landline telephone, unbelievably. Um, and this is literally just uh, an air vent to provide air to circulate through the bunker for the people that are, that are sheltering in it. Right. So you had three people down
3: there. One poor sod would have had to come up to change the photographic paper. Right? Yep. Yep. So was it always the last one who got here who'd get that job? So you get the call. First three, you get to the bunker, man it. And the last of the three who got here, they're the one who has to come up. And
1: change the photographic paper in the Oh, way. I say that that last that last tryst with your loved one was it really worth it that you became <laughs> the one who has to forever?
2: Well, let's have a look. Yeah, yeah. come in, yeah.
1: come in. Right, I might need to put my microphone down now as we climb down the ladder oh, into ben, now. But this, this ladder clearly does this shaft separates the um, you know the wheat from the chaff when it comes to how serious yeah. you take this hobby, right?
2: I think so, yes, um, especially if you go to some of the derelict ones and they don't have a ladder at all. Mm. Well, so you're,
1: you're going down by rope?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, it's, it's not quite as easy it's as with a, a ladder, but, yeah, it certainly puts off some people, for sure. Mm.
1: Just inside there, there's this, this little hatch here, which seems to lead to... It doesn't have anything to do with that? Or is that more air?
2: Yes, there's, yeah, there's more air vents on that side, and that's ah. just a, a trapdoor you can close to moderate the airflow
1: well the next time you hear it we'll be inside the bunker yeah. this is great Oh, and
3: it smells nice it's a very distinctive smell
1: down there love it. it smells like you're heading a fringe venue doesn't it <laughs> it, Do does? It? it does it does <laughs> I, I, I love there's, there's a, obviously there's a couple of bunk beds there there's yeah. a desk there's another little room there which I'm assuming used to be a toilet Electro- what I guess is that? That's part of the, it's um, got a crank handle on it, whatever it is. <laughs> Fresh air running instructions. Is this, is this like a filter?
2: Yes, it is. So, originally, when these were built, they didn't have any sort of air filtration, mm-hmm. which was not a problem in the 1950s, and no one was bothered about that sort of safety. But as they got further on and into the mid 80s, they thought we probably should start doing something to try and make the, the observers last a bit longer. So, they started experimenting with. These air filtration systems, hand-powered ones, these were never installed as a countrywide operational item. This is one of the experimental ones from the mid 1980s that we've put here to show people. But it doesn't work. You can crank the handle if you like. So one of
3: the observers would have had to be.
2: Yeah. Oh,
3: would you have, would that have to crank it constantly?
2: No, you no, would so you just you know. every
1: time the air felt a bit stale, you'd do or you, or ten minutes on that.
2: It's uh, Yeah, <laughs> or you'd make Tony Benton. Yeah,
1: yeah the exactly. cap stands, I imagine, was the uh, cigarette of the day here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think it
2: was uh, one hour in every twelve or one hour in every six. Something. Oh, so something. there you so, go. So you get your exercise. Yeah, yeah.
1: but yeah. So when I want to hear. You got these like metal crates or crate with 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 Royal absorber core stamped onto them. What would have been in there? That's not ammo, is it?
2: This was used to store a flare gun in the early 50s. Ah. They also had an aircraft spotting roll early on that got got dropped. But they had a flare gun they could use to signal as well.
1: And there's fuel cans under here. Is there a generator then somewhere?
2: There would have been a very small petrol... I didn't bring it because it's a bit heavy, but a very small petrol generator for charging the batteries. So there was a fuel can and all the rest would be drinking water. The volunteers
1: presumably would maintain these stations as well You know, in, in the Cold War. They weren't being used, as it were, but they would have had You'd to maintain them.
3: They'd they'd have regular meetings yeah. and you know, be going through exercises of what would happen. Mm. And,
1: and of the specific type, these observer ones, you said there's 1,500 of wow, these? That,
2: yeah. Yeah, about, yeah, about 1,563, approximately. About. <laughs> yeah.
1: And would you say they're all in a reasonably similar state of repair or preservation?
2: No. Mostly. No, I'd say... Easily three-quarters of them are completely derelict, empty concrete shells, flooded or demolished. Right. So there's, there's probably only, I'd say, 30 to 50 that right. are in any kind of decent order. Of this kind?
1: But uh, of this kind, of this kind, kind. yeah.
3: Of this kind, hmm. yeah. But how many
1: there. would there be, including the ones that were for local
2: government so and, and the all big, that?
3: regional seats of government, there were originally 12 of those, yeah. but I think the ones open to the public are Kelfton Hatch, Hat Green...
2: And, and Anstruther, Anstruther. Anstruther yeah.
3: yeah, in five. But they weren't one well observer corporate, but they were. They were we just, official. Yeah, yeah, yeah they had. They sort of purpose changed a bit during the Cold mm-hmm. War period, but they were the massive, um, massive bunkers. Yeah. So
1: uh, part of the hobby, then, as it were, mm-hmm. isn't a thing of ticking them off. Then not really. It, because no, there's, I just, there's not quite enough of them to no, do that. So I
3: visited sort of Kelvin Hatch and Hackney, these big ones that you you know are now open visitor centres. And then I did a programme on Radio Four. I did Joe Lycett's show mm-hmm. sessions. And I was talking about them on there and our friend, me friend now Gavin, who is the head of the restoration project at Dundee. he Well, quite a lot of people contacted me, it was funny, through my agent, saying, I've got a bunker, would you like to come and see it? And my agent going, one of these men is going to murder you. <laughs> and and bury you in a
1: ready-made <laughs> underground mausoleum. <laughs> he
3: said, I don't believe all these men have bunkers, and just be careful. I said, it's fine, it'll be fine. And uh, Gavin contacted me because he's in Dundee and obviously I go up to Edinburgh for the Fringe. So I drove over one day with... I took a friend just in case he wasn't Mm -hmm. at And he showed me around there and I just... That became my favourite bunker there because it's just been so well restored, what they've done there. And all the volunteers there have such passion for it. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, sort of slowly ticking them off. It's quite... Like I say, you stumble across them sometimes, but there's what... I haven't been to Porter Down yet in Northern Ireland. That's one that's open to the public. And then
1: presumably there's similar things abroad. Did yes. other, other countries would have had similar things like that, that countries could be
3: have. Yeah, and other countries of course had civilian bunkers which we didn't have hmm. here. So I was recently in Berlin and went to one of their atom bunker civilian bunkers. But obviously we didn't have bunkers for no. civilians. Well, what is
1: that ticking noise? That's
2: the timer for the lights. <laughs> the timer for the lights.
1: Okay. You got tail. Have got anything to do you like, I love this stuff. Like yeah. see the old BT box there for the communications. It's got it's very tactile, the, the buttons and a, a little volume knob. From...
2: That's original equipment, but not original to
3: Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm seeing the the NATO phonetic alphabet thing, and an alpha is misspelt. And I think of all <laughs> the places where you'd expect <laughs> things to be spelled correctly, it would be on a NATO phonetic alphabet chart, wow. but they've spelled alpha like alfalfa. And they <laughs> have got the
3: Irish whiskey spelling. So
1: this is true. <laughs>
3: And this is, you know, the bomb power indicator you saw upstairs. So that's where it would.
1: That's where it would read. read. It's in kilopascals. Uh, it presumably then the dial would stay there after the after because the, otherwise yeah. you have to be staring at it right at the moment of it. Oh, bleep. Yeah, there's a button
2: underneath to reset it. Yeah. Would you
3: fancy staying overnight? Yeah, easily. Yeah, this right.
1: is. It seems like an ideal place to come for you know a, a lock-in. No,
3: it says two beds, but a three-man post. Mm-hmm. There's someone on duty, right? Yeah, three eight hour shifts in
1: a day. It wouldn't be a good, uh, you know, posting for if you're paranoid, if you're no. constantly wondering what the other two were saying about you while you were asleep.
3: You really want to hope the other two are people you can get on with as well. There's not a lot of room to, uh, no. to yourself,
1: is there? Three eight hour shifts that's like you never spend any time with us, all three of you awake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to soak up the atmosphere a bit longer, and then maybe we'll go somewhere with slightly better acoustics to discuss your hobby in greater detail?
3: Yeah, so. Sure. <laughs>
1: I love how lit up you are by just being here.
3: I, I love it. Because you haven't
1: been to this one before, right? I've not
3: been to this one. So um, I'm only 20 minute drive away from here and they have these open days every summer and it's always when I'm in Edinburgh mm-hmm. or I'm just away. Mm-hmm. So I've never actually managed to get along to one. I've been dying to get down there. So it has made my week that I've got into this one. What,
1: how does that compare to other ones you might have seen? You're saying that a lot of them are, uh, are, are in a great... Terrible state of disrepair compared yeah, to this. Yeah, I
3: mean, this has been beautifully restored by the guys here, and they've got a lot of the original equipment. You know, they've sourced it from different places, so it looks as authentic as it can. Because obviously, when it was stood down, they were all just left to mm-hmm. to become derelicts. So they've worked really hard to to try and get it to look like it would have looked during the Cold War period.
1: And what is it about this that that, that turns you on, if you'll excuse the expression? I
3: think, I think part of it is almost a nostalgia thing because I was about 13 when the Berlin Wall came down. in mm-hmm. fact it came down on my 13th birthday okay. and that sort of period of history really fascinates me because it's so in my living memory mm-hmm. and the, the idea that people were coming to this place and doing exercises while I was at school, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't 50 years ago, it wasn't my grandparents ago, it was during my lifetime, that blows my mind mm-hmm. and that whole Cold War period I think so much of it so the core was stood down in the early 90s but so much of it took longer to be declassified, what was actually happening So it wasn't really till the 21st century that nerds like me got to find out, oh, my God, this is what was going on in that time.
1: Because where I live, there's a lot of pillboxes. You see them all across the farmland and stuff like that. And every time you see them when you're on a walk, it reminds you, or I say it it just shows you how frightened people were that Mm -hmm. the war was going to actually come onto the land, onto the shores of... Of, of, of the UK yeah. and how frightening that must have been that they have to put these things up that obviously never were used but you forget that also in our lifetime we were incredibly paranoid and we lived as kids or maybe as teenagers for me with, with the threat of nuclear war hanging over us. I
3: terrified of nuclear war as a kid, and I remember saying to my dad, like, what will happen if a nuclear bomb goes off?" And he's like, "Well, we'll, we'll die." <laughs> like, Don't worry about it. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. Don't worry about
1: it. Yeah, we were worried that we were going to die a more slow, torturous death because we figured no one would actually drop a bomb on Ireland, right? But yeah, they'd hit England, England yeah. And we'd, we, you know, we'd just eventually. Yeah. Well, I think they probably would. I think, I think, because I think American fighters used to be able to, yeah. American fighters can refuel in Shannon Airport, so I think that would get done, yeah. and that would pretty, pretty much, have done for the whole island.
3: Yeah, you probably would have been. Quite a strategic place to to lose for mm-hmm. the Russians, probably during the Cold War.
1: Yeah. So obviously, in in Britain, there was only ever bunkers for government, as it were, mm-hmm. and these monitoring stations. Mm-hmm. We we didn't go big, you know. Britain didn't go big on on the whole nuclear bunkers. Yeah. They did abroad. Is that is that a thing? Do you when you were on holiday? Do you like to go and visit the the, the local shelters?
3: I've visited loads. I was recently in Berlin and uh, went to visit a uh, nuclear. Shelter. There, a civilian mm-hmm. shelter in Berlin. There's quite a few that are open to the public in Germany. And there's... Um, different countries had different... Pla- so, I think Switzerland might be the only country that's got enough nuclear bunkers for the entire population, mm-hmm. including any tourists that happen to be there at the time. Yeah. So, Switzerland's really... if You can't build a new building in Switzerland without having a nuclear bunker. OK. Um, Sweden, I think, has a really high proportion but not enough for the entire population, but has a lot. And then, of course, in
1: America, you've got c- civilians just making their own. Well, you've got, you got your preppers, you know, haven't you?
3: And the same here. If you want a nuclear bunker in this country for civilians, you're going to have to build it yourself. I'm sure yeah. that people have their private hmm. bunkers under their massive houses. I'm sure there's plenty of those around.
1: Is that Does that appeal to you at all, trying to search those out?
3: Do you know, I think if the worst happened, I'd... I'd Hope that I was in the initial wave of j- just in the blast.
1: No, but just out of curiosity. I don't mean to actually have one. No, 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 I know. No. But I'm, but, oh, just
3: c- to have one, just yeah. to have got one. Yeah,
1: because I would imagine, as you say, people probably did mm. in the 70s, 80s, but there would have been people who would have built you them. Could buy and those houses. Past, ones, yeah. Or
3: you could how to build one in your back garden. Yeah. There were instructions on how to do it, that you could buy kits and things. There's, there's ways of finding out if this, oh, you sure know. There's plenty of private houses. But it's, not, it's not something
1: that's done. of I'm interest not, to you. I, well, no. And when you go abroad and you visit, say, something like a public shelter in in berlin is it a bit like is it a bit like a cold water swimmer visiting a swimming bath you going this isn't this isn't my thing
3: it is my thing because it's all part of cold war history i'm a cold war history nerd so this is just one aspect of that seeing the bunkers in berlin was interesting to me because you see how they set them up and how they would have organized had the worst happened
1: does that make you think differently about this country that no civilian bunkers were ever built
3: are they just more realistic? I don't know. It's not like in Berlin there was enough for everyone. So was it just... It was still going to be the elite. Keep the population out. Well, look, OK, we've built some bunkers so you can chill. Because remember as well, if you're in East Berlin during the Cold, you were quite a strategic mm. place. Said, the Pershing missiles were moving. Do you think it was just a
1: placebo? Do you think it was just like the duck and cover? You know, take your, take your doors off and put them against the walls, that kind of thing. It was all just
3: basically what you're doing there is building your own funeral pile. Yeah, right? you know, just yeah. Like Underneath a, a lean a door, lent against your wall, and
1: yeah. surrounded by. Something no, I can't crazy. imagine it would work. Yeah,
3: I don't think that was going to protect you, but I do think it would have stopped the bodies piling up, and you would have just burnt. With the stuff that you surrounded yourself
1: with. It is quite macabre when you think about it. Like, if, yeah. you, if when you drill down into it. So, and I, I wonder, does that, is that part of the appeal I for if you? A sort of I mean, you're generally thing. quite a jolly person, I find. I'm but I find too. people who seem to be quite jolly often have a darkness lurking <laughs> underneath. And I wonder if this is appealing to that.
3: I think it's sort of opposite. I think I'm quite an anxious person. Quite, and I do worry about the, you know, and I do spiral of worry. And it's just nice to know that something was being thought about, I suppose. There's a little comfort to be had in that, that someone somewhere had some plans, whether they were good ones or not.
1: And does that give you then, does that give you, you know, sort of a sense of calm now? That you think, you think... I'm sure, I'm sure the we're all going to fight out 30 years from now that absolutely everything was being done to make sure that nothing went wrong for well,
3: us. Well, I think we know, don't we, that the, <laughs> the government we have now definitely put the uh, population first. And so, of course, I've got no, no concerns at all.
1: <laughs> That's a sarcastic lack of cynicism there, listeners. <laughs> What was it that opened your eyes to the existence of these things? So I didn't really
3: know anything about them until I was living in Crystal Palace and the Central Hill Council Estate in Crystal Palace. Somebody told me that a nuclear bunker was built underneath one of the blocks of flats in the 60s. I said, surely not. And I went and had a look and sure enough there was this sort of locked up space underneath these flats. And I found that, yes, that was a a civil defence bunker. So that one would have been for government use, for civil yeah. service use. And I started reading more about it. And that's when I learned about the Royal Observer Corps. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot been written about... Most people don't know about them. No. So they, unless you were a Royal Observer Corps volunteer or someone in your family was... No-one really knows that there was this band of people across the UK who would meet up once a fortnight or whatever to talk about their role during nuclear war. And it was not? a social not,
1: thing. D- did people maybe not talk about it outside the group? They weren't allowed to. Or, they or yeah. was an Official yeah. Secrets I thing?
3: They, I can't remember if they actually signed the Official Secrets Act.
1: They were at least discouraged they, from telling people yeah, what they were it doing? it
3: wasn't something that you would shout about.
1: I imagine and that was probably part world. of the appeal then, that it would have been yeah. quite a clandestine thing. You know, I no, not telling you what do. I to, like to tell you what do. I work for the government. For yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. Um, exactly, and there's quite a lot of you know. I've sort of met observers now, and quite a lot. There's a really big social side to being in the uh, observer corps during that Cold War period, mm-hmm. because you know the threat was always there, but it wasn't like being in Sir John's ambulance, where you're needed to do the thing every weekend at a fate or whatever, and you could mm-hmm. be called upon. You know, there would be what they call the transition to war phase. So if it looked like things were really hotting up, there'd be this kind of two week period, really, where you go tensions would be ramped up, and that's when they'd be. Sort of put in position, and that's when it'd be like, okay, we're, it's go time. But that never happened. So it was sort of while well, they took it very seriously, and they did the training, and they were prepared, and you know would keep doing the training. They never had to put it into practice, so it was always a little bit sort of mythical, really. Mm,
1: I'm sure there'd be no sense of regret at that. It's a bit like you know, getting your car insured and then complaining that it was a waste of money because you exactly. were never in an accident.
3: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure no one of them went, oh, no, I never got, to, <laughs> never got to use a ground zero indicator in real life. Yeah, oh,
1: shucks. <laughs> and you had your Hindu in one of these. So it was a. When I say Hindu, I mean, it wasn't a week, you didn't spend a whole weekend in it. Presumably. Yeah, we did. Well, uh, we spent a night in it. So we. Oh, you spent the night? You were we you were able night. to spend the night in it? Yeah, in the one so in, what's the name of the one in Dundee again? It's, it's called Craigie Barn mm-hmm.
3: Bunker in Dundee. Their 28 Group Observed is the name of the restoration charity. So right. you can go to their website and have a look. They have open days. But they were a Royal Observer Corps headquarters. So okay. all these little posts would be in groups of three. And they would report what they've found to a headquarters bunker, which is what Dundee is. Mm. So where would the headquarters bunker
1: be for this one? Sorry to interrupt.
3: Yeah, Horsham. Horsham,
1: Horsham, right. Okay. So so that was quite a large one. Yeah. And And so you can stay overnight in that? Well, as a party? You
3: can if you know the right people. I see. They do hire it out for hmm. events and they do film shoots and things mm-hmm. in them. I just want people to come down and know know that it's there and find out about it and learn about it.
1: Your husband, your fiancé, as he was at the time, mm-hmm. how did he feel when you told him you were doing this? I mean, obviously, it's your hand do.
3: i surprised or shocked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, of course you are, yeah. Were, did
1: sense. any of your mates go... Whoa.
3: Some of my friends were quite apprehensive about coming. I think they thought I was taking them to a cellar. Mm -hmm. Obviously I've been in a lot of these so I know what to expect, but if you don't, you'd like well you're just gonna take me to a damp hole in the ground (laughs) for your to or they thought they would get claustrophobic. A couple of my friends were a bit worried about being claustrophobic. Well, I yeah. need to get out. And I said, No, you'll be locked in. <laughs> um, like, well, yeah, you will be able to get out, but you won't want to. You'll be fine. Because mm-hmm. It's big and there's space and there's. And sure enough, they were fine.
1: I always find whenever people have a passion, whenever people have a hobby, there's there tends to be a subset of that hobby that people not look down on but people go oh those people those people are really obsessed for instance when I was talking to yeah. Kate Botley about cold water swimming mm-hmm. there's also the people who do cold water underground swimming and, oh, and yeah exactly so I'm wondering is there so obviously you're someone who travels the country you, you search these things out you visit them people will already think you odd for that there must be a, 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 a subsect of people who do that that oh, you go I'm oh I'm not that of, of being a bunker hobbyist I am like the the least nerdy group you're I'm just, a dilettante I, I'm, yeah
3: exactly that I'm a dilettante so what
1: do you not do what do others do that really I marks an obsessive
3: searching them out. I don't break into them <laughs> I don't you know get all excited on forums on the internet going I found one and I broke in and I was up to my knees in stagnant water but I've <laughs> taken these photographs I like reading about them I like visiting the ones that people have tidied up mm-hmm. uh, like this one that's nice and clean and I can have a look and go, well, that's really fascinating. I'm interested in the history of it. And, and I'm interested in meeting the volunteers and, and learning about that side of it more than I am. Sort of hiking through the scrubland, looking for them and, and breaking into
1: them. But the next step would be helping to restore them. Would you say that would be the next step along? If, you well, know, technically,
3: I'm, I'm a patron of a restoration. Okay, facility. so you've already
1: passed that I've already milestone. Passed that
3: milestone, maybe. I, although I haven't really got my hands dirty yet. Maybe that's the next step is to actually, you know, get okay, my
1: hands dirty. so getting your hands I'm dirty. Able to buy one. My hands Now, what do, do they do retail for? What's the Absolutely. okay? So, so, it's, so a defunct one that you would have to refurb so yourself. One I mean, you can... You've obviously you got to buy the land it's on, so it depends on whether it's in a farm or what it it's on. It depends
3: where they are and the land that comes with it, but they, they're regularly on the market, aren't they? I mean, you could pick one up for 10 grand. Wow. But that's going to be a derelict hole in the ground full of water.
1: You've basically got a cinema room with planning permission already, <laughs> haven't you? <laughs> Stop giving me ideas. I want, I, I want you to say, I want us... Come on, whiteboard the idea. Fifteen years from now, you inviting me to a cinema room that's in a bunker underground that you bought if to would... watch your documentary that you made about if, underground if bunkers.
3: If I bought one of these, I wouldn't be able to turn it into anything other than one of... Than
1: oh, that's what you'd want to do with stories. it, yeah.
3: Absolutely, I think, yeah, you'd want people to see what exactly what it was and what it was for. You wouldn't want to uh, turn it into some a recording studio or something like no. that.
1: Yeah. I think that'd be the first thing I'd do. I think I'd be overjoyed if I if I bought a house and it turned out that there was one of these on the land. I think yeah. that would be that would be become a, an absolute project that would that would really annoy my wife. <laughs> I think that would be the, there's a what no, you don't understand.
3: But every time one's for sale, somebody on Twitter will post me the link, and my husband will see it and just
1: no, no, <laughs> absolutely no. not. No. Well, what you do is, go, honey, if I don't spend ten grand on this, I'm going to start breaking into them. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> so it's up to you
3: to stop that happening. <laughs> by letting me buy one. <laughs>
1: So pitch it to me and and be confident because I'm already in. I'm already, I, nuclear I like bunkers like is a pretty it, good starting me, point, right? Pitch me nuclear bunkers as a hobby. Okay,
3: Ed, you were a kid around the same time I was. You were about the same age, similar. You can remember the fear of the Cold War. You remember when the wind blows. You remember protect and survive. You remember threads. You remember threads. Still PTSD for watching threads, right? So... Surely, surely you're intrigued by what was really going on underground during that time. And my hobby will show you exactly what was going on underground during the Cold War.
0: So, can you explain to me more about Angela's hobby? It's Grey's. <laughs> Is it? Yeah. Is
1: it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Why? What? Why? Tell me.
1: So, the place we went to today isn't one of the ones that I was describing before. She has visited, and there are nuclear bunkers that were designed, as I say, for regional government. And even that sounds really interesting. But the thing we were visiting today, which is the Royal Observer Corps Fallout Monitoring Centres, and these there was something like 1,500 of these built during the Cold War all over the country. And it was just a place where, when you got the four-minute warning, volunteers the Royal Observer Corps were volunteers, would kiss their families goodbye and there would be three men would go into this bunker and monitor the fallout for however long in the event of of a nuclear attack. And then that information would be sent to a central monitoring station, which would be larger. And one of the largest central monitoring stations in in the Scottish areas in Dundee, and that's where Angela had her hen weekend. <laughs>
0: oh, that's brilliant! So mm. they've never been used. These three men, no. three men have never kissed their families goodbye and gone no. and sat in this bunker.
1: No, and it's mad as well when you go in because there's two cots, there's, there's there's two bunks because one man would always be awake and the other two asleep, eight hour shifts.
0: Oh, so they had to share linen. Mm -hmm. Never mind about the good linen, Mm -hmm. they just had to sleep in each other's pits.
1: It would be the least of their worries, I'm sure. Because it would just be a case of everybody would be, in theory, everyone would be dead and they would just be alive for a bit longer than everybody else, sort of thing. That would be this kind of situation.
0: Okay, so do you think you want to take this up as a hobby? Wait a minute, before you decide you want to take this Mm -hmm. up as a hobby, are they in nice places in the country that we could tie in (laughs) a city break... Or a nice bit of beach action, family holiday job, or are they? Where are they? They're all over the place. They're
1: all over the place. Are they on moors? Like a moor is the worst place a person can ever visit. (laughs) They're they're all over the place, and most of them are defunct and just full of water and derelict. And some have been restored. Some of them are on private. None of them are owned by the MOD anymore. So there's, there's that. Some of them are on private land. Some people have refurbed them and charge admission to them and they've turned them into museums. Are
0: there any on Airbnb yet?
1: No, no. I don't think they'd be habitable.
0: Well, but you could make one habitable, couldn't you? With the good well, linen. You I, could it, get your good linen in. Well, this is it what would I it'd be an talk- interesting place to go and stay. But yes. they're
1: amazing. They're a lovely slice of Cold War history. They, they really are. I, and I, I would say I'm not going to go into it as, as much as Angela is. But sometimes when I'm on the road if
0: there's one and path, there's a
1: few hours... And you know, I've got also. Oh, I've got to be there. i there, and then I've got to be there. I'd look in between and go, "Oh, there's I wonder is there, there? I might just check if there's a nuclear bunker that's open between there, a royal observer corps bunker between the two. Well, I think it sounds
0: like a wonderful thing to do when you're on tour.
1: That is, that, ladies and gentlemen, as clear as we saying, <laughs> that is something I am not interested in doing with you. Ed Burn Needs a Hobby was presented by me, Ed Byrne. Obviously. The music was by Clementine Arnold, and it was produced by Laura Grimshaw.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a
3: place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.